I must say also, Dominic, that you've been one of the guests who we've gotten the most feedback about. Not that other people don't enjoy other guests, but something about your episode definitely compelled people to reach out more often. Like, I feel like I got a lot of texts about that episode more than um, most. And yeah, just wanted to let you know that. Like, I think this is, yeah, this is a very, um, it's going to be exciting to have you back on and uh, give the people what they want. Well, we are talking about uh, the ability to be comfortable having taboo conversations beforehand. And I think that that's an area that is hard to talk about, especially I think there's a lot of hostility in that area of conversation. So I'm glad that I was able to uh, approach it. And even afterwards, I was like, oh, was I too mean on that episode? But I listened back and I thought I, I handled it appropriately. So. Oh, yeah. Well, only as an eighth hostelium could. Right, right. And so many people were like, wow, that was such a good conversation. And they were like, he's so in- intellectual. He's so intelligent. I was like, oh, his ninth house Aquarius. <laughs> I, I do think it's important that people realize that like so many of the things you discuss, um, that was a journey. It took me a long time to get to be able to have that type of conversation. Uh, the incident that comes to mind is I made a religion teacher cry in high school one time for a very less <laughs> fluent version of that conversation. <laughs> so, More than one, right? Uh, only one officially, but, uh, yeah. So I wrote, basically I was in a bad mood and I had to write an essay about the importance of religion classes. And I basically wrote a whole paragraph about, um, how religion teachers is a worthless job because people should self-determine their religion. (laughs) But, you know, we've come a long way since then. (laughs) Welcome to the fifth element. A podcast for people seeking intimate connection with their innermost self through holistic healing, cosmic consciousness, and radical rebirth. We hope each episode is an opportunity for listeners to join the collective journey towards intuition and integration. Today, we are talking about something vastly different than our last conversation. <laughs> very excited. This Something is, this is the episode I was looking forward to friends, before you all recorded your first episode. Okay, well, I'm glad you're excited because I can assure you that Emily and I are not. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> we are, I already feel emotionally drained. <laughs> Let me give a little context to this episode. So Emily and I decide to start a podcast. Well, before that. Well, we talk about starting a podcast. We see Frozen 2. We confirm our need to start a podcast. And we decide to call it The Fifth Element. Again, inspired by Frozen 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tell Dominic, my brother here, the name of our podcast. And he laughs uh, and tells me I should probably check copyright details, which I also have not done yet. Um, and won't because we're invested now. And uh, basically there's a movie that is quite famous. Who knew? Not us, Emily and I, that uh, is called The Fifth Element. And Dominic is a fan of this movie. And so Emily and I joked long ago that we would have to like do a review of this movie. And that day has come. And cut to today, Emily looks up how to change name of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
Because yeah, honestly, I really hope nobody <laughs> thinks we are a Fifth Element movie. Maybe that's why we haven't taken off in the way that we. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, um, we yeah. both also watched it. Um, we started at 8.30 a.m., so it was a weird morning watch as well. Yeah, it's very fresh. Just watched it. Um, mm-hmm. And then read Dominic's birth chart, and here we are. Uh, we all watched it separately. Dominic has seen it before. I have to admit, I didn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like, ten minutes left, and I honestly couldn't do it. All right. It's going to be a fun conversation is what I'm hearing. <laughs> we, uh, we were going, we had this like plan. We were like, oh, it wasn't a plan because we didn't actually ever decide to do it. But um, we were like, we should just not watch it and like go through this whole conversation pretending like we did. It would be like the true test of our improv skills. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, Dominic's really excited to talk about it. We need to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited to hear one, like, for someone to explain to me what the hell was going on in that movie and then to how you could possibly have enjoyed watching that movie. Well, that's what I said to Keely when we <laughs> talked about this like a month ago. I was like, you're going to need to watch it more than once. Like if you plan on taking notes, which I did, like I you're going to get lost because I, she was like, no, I'll just pause it and like take notes and stuff. Like you can't, this movie is a train ride. If you're not paying attention the whole time, you're going to miss everything. <laughs> It's a train wreck as well. I mean, yeah. Okay, also, let me just say, um, I don't know what led me to believe that this was going to be some sci-fi parody movie, a la, like, Spaceballs, Zombieland, Vampire Suck. Um, That is not what it was. No. This is the movie that other movies parody when they're doing sci-fi parodies. Okay, I don't think I've ever seen a sci-fi parody, but I cannot like my brain does not process like action (laughs) so i just don't like it as soon as you know they were like in the flipping like desert they were in the ruins it was like an archaeological site and then all of a sudden five minutes in a spaceship lands and i was out i was like (laughs) i hate this i I think we're i think we're getting ahead of ourselves Uh, i just want to give the context of like i'm already entering into this where, where whenever there's like action movies or like scenes in movies where there's not like dialogue and I need to pay attention to like what's going on in the moment I just like zone out because I do not that's like not how I I just am like I don't know what's going on I'm gonna check out until they're talking about something else yeah I want a narrative yeah um so set the stage Dominic for those of you who are unfamiliar um (laughs) first off congratulations for listening to a podcast called the fifth element but uh uh the fifth element is a 1997 movie um I believe the director is French um it's starring Bruce Willis uh Gary Oldman uh, a couple other famous actors uh and it is a sci-fi action movie about um the ultimate evil uh and it needs to be stopped by a weapon created by a now extinct alien race uh and in order to do that the heroes must gather the four stones the four elemental stones bring them together and then through the power of the mysterious fifth element 
unlock the laser that will destroy all the evil. Um, See, I wish I knew that before. Emily's <laughs> like, oh, that's what happened. Uh, there's I definitely some on more, all of that. I just didn't enjoy it, but we can. There's more going. shenanigans that happen, and a thing that I think <laughs> I would is, not like describe any of what happened as shenanigans. Oh, there's shenanigans. Um, <laughs> The thing that I think is so funny, right, is I think it was an interesting choice that you chose to call your podcast The Fifth Element, because when we, I think we saw it Frozen 2 at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, Keely. Uh, you are incorrect. I saw it with Emily. But didn't we see it together at some point? No, know, you saw it with it the rest of our family, um, uh, and sense. I was already at our Christmas destination, and I got a text from our family members that was like, Eh, I like the first one better, and I literally said I can't have this conversation with you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, ever. The fu- okay, well, then I must have said this to our sister Alex. I, at one point in Frozen 2, they were like, but there's a fifth element, and I, sh- like, shrugged my head in my hands and out loud said, I swear if it is love. Uh, because that is the fifth element in the fifth element as well. Uh, it is love. And then in the fifth element, upon rewatching, I went, Yep, here we are again. <laughs> okay, well, here element we need to clear something up immediately. Our fifth element is not love. It's I know yours isn't. But, and, uh, neither, and neither is it in Frozen 2. This that's is true. A, this is a misconception. These are all the, also the people who think that the fifth element is the mother's voice in Frozen 2. No, very mistaken. Mm-hmm. The fifth element is intuition. Dominic, (laughs) cue the skepticism. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay. Well, do we just want to, like, go through the movie? Or do you, should we talk about, like, themes? Or, like, should we start with the problematic critiques that I have? Let's, let's start off, let's start off with what you liked first. Let's start there. What, what, if anything, one thing that you liked about this movie Honestly, one thing that I liked was watching a movie that was like, that would occasionally mention like space or would show space or talked about stones and mentioned like the elements. Mm -hmm. Every time one of those words, I was like, oh, okay, wait, let me get into this. And then it would be like this alien with this flashlight. And I'd be like, no, okay, never mind. Um, But I did, I did like, I think, honestly, I would like it if I watched it a few more times, Mm -hmm. Um, or if I finished it, maybe. But, yeah, at first, when it first started, I was like, ooh, maybe I'll like this, you know, when they start showing, like, the earth, and, um, and then it, and then it started, and I was like, Yeah, a lot of action right up front, so I could see why that would lose you. Keely, what did you like? Um, well, I mean, in the first, like, five minutes alone, we see that Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul Gaultier is doing the costuming, so I was intrigued <laughs> from the beginning, certainly. Um, I was disappointed throughout I, by the costuming. I, but. I literally wrote... I only took a couple notes, and one of them was, Guy in the Hood has serious Jean Valjean vibes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I will also say, in the first couple minutes, there was a plethora of snakes, which mm. got my attention, because I have a fascination with snakes. 
Um, but yeah, basically as soon as the spaceship landed, I was like kind of checked out emotionally. Like I wasn't emotionally invested and that sure. is a requirement for me. Uh-huh. Like most, even, even a movie that I enjoy watching, I probably won't watch a second time. Um, huh. With the sheer exception of Frozen 1, Frozen 2, and Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like every time they said the fifth element because I thought they were like talking about our podcast. That's good. That's a I good. just felt I felt special every time they said the fifth element. Oh my gosh! Wait, no, there is a part that I actually was like very impressed by and enjoyed. Okay. Dominic is parked up suddenly. All right, hey, um, he... and it is the opera scene. I was, well, I think we'll hold that. We'll hold, we're going to put a pin in that to come okay. back to that later. Not anything that was, like, happening in the scene, just, like, the singing itself was quite impressive. Yeah. We'll talk <laughs> like, about that in a little bit. I'm loving that, like, Dominic's structuring this conversation right now, because this would be an absolute train wreck. Oh, well, this is definitely the one episode where you are the guests, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, this I'm is my loving. podcast right now. <laughs> Mars and Leo. Right. Oh, all right, um, Dominic, take us on, so the, on this journey. So, for me, the thing that I particularly enjoy about this movie is I think that the level of detail that went into the world building is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Like, it paints a really grim but kind of realistic portrait of what a future New York City could look like. Um, like, it still is crowded and grimy, but now it's done through this veil of, like, modern technology. Uh, I think the way it illustrates the police state was particularly relevant as I, uh, like it was built into their society. The fact that they have yellow dots painted everywhere so that the police can stop and frisk you at any point. Very interesting Emily did send me a Snapchat about uh, the relevance. Yeah, I Snapchatted her and I was like, this is what the world is going to look like if we don't defund the police. Exactly, exactly. Um, You know, there's some really cool things too, like the fact that your food carts are little floating food boats that come right up to your windows. Very cool. Uh, Just a lot of little things too, like the way uh, when the police needed to jump from one car to the next because they're floating, they attach, all the cars come with these built-in hooks that the police could attach to. So there's a lot of little gadgetry, the way, the modular nature of- Wait, um, how many times have you seen this? Uh, I've seen this movie probably like three or four times. Okay. I think this is the fourth time I probably rewatched it. Um, like it, there's just a lot of little details, like the way that, uh, the main character, uh, Corbin Dallas, his apartment is this like shoebox apartment, but it has like, has, like uh, uh, a sink that goes in and out and the shower is on top of the dresser and it self cleans when it like goes back up into the wall. Like there's a lot of really cool little nuance um, to the world that feels very lived in. Okay, uh, yeah, I feel like I would appreciate that more, especially with all of us being Aquarians and being like future mm-hmm. futuristic. Um, Honestly, at the beginning of the movie, I was like, wait, is this supposed to be the past? Is this supposed to be the future? But then it was weird watching, obviously, as I knew we were, like, landed in the future, it was odd for me to try to reconcile, like, okay, I know this is, like, filmed in the 90s, but it's supposed to be in the future, so is this, like, supposed to be modern day, or am I supposed to be thinking even more into the future? But I think picking up on a lot of those little details will be helpful the next time I watch it, because I I like that as well. Like, I like when... Mm-hmm. there's very like creative ways to set the stage for whatever like era they're thinking we're in. Yeah. It, there's definitely a lot of um, 
so for context for people listening, the movie starts off in 1914 uh, at an archaeological dig. Um, it's also where we're first introduced to the divine aliens, uh, which is who the priest in this movie serves. They are, in, uh, we're kind of led to, through um, assumption to figure out that they visited Earth about like a long, long time ago um, and helped stop a divine evil uh, using uh, these magic stones that represent the four elements. Uh, and a priest has uh, one onto the next, onto the next, onto the next, passed down the knowledge of what happened there uh, and is in service of these aliens and is in some form of communication with them. Now we open up with an archeologist who is getting uh, too close for comfort uh, for the priest which is why the priest tries to kill the archaeologists in the beginning by poisoning them um, to protect the sacred knowledge that they are they're holding. Um, but ultimately that doesn't matter because the aliens show up at the last minute uh, and have decided that the stones are no longer safe on Earth. So they take the stones back, which were meant to save the Earth from the ultimate evil. And that's where we learn of the prophecy that um, every 5,000 years, the great evil comes back and the stones must be used once again following so far <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean i'm definitely following i follow i understood what was going on in the movie i noticed these like you know little gadgets and trinkets in this place this apartment that he right. alice lived in like all that stuff i just don't personally i think the main hang-up for me was not the storyline or whatever it's just that i don't like sci-fi and actually well, you my don't favorite. like a lot of Fiction. common fictional elements like you refuse paranormal stories uh, I don't like any of that and like maybe I need to <laughs> learn to love it as an Aquarius like this is bad for me but anything you like literally have so many eighth house placements I know I have an eighth house Aquarius stellium like what the heck are you doing this should be your favorite movie ever I don't know I think it's because I'm a cancer rising like I, I'll blame it on that for now but so a thing that I think is important um and like, I understand, I love sci-fi um, because what sci-fi lets us do is it lets us tell stories in a safe way. Uh, it lets us talk about ideas and explore things in ways that other mediums aren't as um, safe to do it in. And what I mean by that is sci-fi has this really interesting relationship to humanity in that in a lot of ways, it's a very predictive form of storytelling. A lot of things that we now take for granted, like cell phones, were predicted by authors hundreds of years ago, right? And sci-fi, especially what I like about movies like The Fifth Element, is it's not painting a future that's too, too far away. Sure, like, we don't... I mean, that's not even true. We do have prototype flying cars. They're just inefficient right now, right? Like, these are things... Um, that allow us to interface and come up and solve the moral quandaries that come around them now, right? Like it's a common joke anymore in a lot of sci-fi that we don't need to have the clone argument anymore, which is like, is a clone a person? Which is a real common theme when cloning first started to become into consciousness. But now any like sci-fi fan will tell you like, yes, we've already solved that problem. We know they're people. We've seen 800 stories that tell us clones are people. Like right. they are human in a way. Well, and um, when the, when like the robot was uh, serving, was it like a bartender? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's accurate. <laughs> or like, yeah. soon be accurate. I mean, to use that, that scene is used as a throwaway joke or it's like, oh, humanity, can you relate? And the robot just shakes its head no. Right. And like, 
that's hysterical. That's a great joke. <laughs> this is what I don't like, and I'm not trying to make this like, you know, a psychoanalyzation of my own sure. conscience, but well, you should. It's the same reason I don't like magic. What? Okay. Wait, I didn't know this about you. Oh, like like magicians, not like. I, I used to want to be a magician. Uh, <laughs> wait, why don't you like magicians? I don't like being deceived. Blatantly deceived. Like people are agreeing to be deceived. Mm-hmm. Like there is enough deception going on in the world. Like I am not going to sit in an audience and agree to a man in a top hat that he I mean, can make me think things that I don't actually want to think. Is that not our governmental structure? It is, which is, again, why, why would I then pay <laughs> so true. to go and be entertained by something like that when it's just like a jovial version of the society that we live in every day? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like that. And so it's the same thing with, like, sci-fi and, like, futuristic stuff and, like, robots and AI. Like, oh, God. Like, I just hate it because I'm, like, why would I, like, be subjecting myself purposefully to anything that is pulling me out of my ability to interact with the world in an authentic way? I think because with your mindset, I think it's dangerous. And what I, and what I mean by that is... Um, it is dangerous. I don't out. trust myself. I think it's dangerous because what you're doing is you're limiting yourself to what is happening right now, right? And without the forethought to know what is possible, you'll never get to a point where those things are reality. So by limiting yourself to only being confined to like things that are nonfiction or dramatic, I think there's a healthy understanding of the past and the present that is important. But if you don't have any appreciation for what the future could be, you'll never get to that future. And a prolongated present is no better. Like, that doesn't serve you in the long run. We are so guests on this podcast right now. I mean, yes, this is, this is tea, Dominic. Thank you for <laughs> serving it. Um, I'm going to add a few lumps of sugar to my mug um, and say that I, I agree with you. And I think I am very future focused. How could I not be? I have so many Aquarius and mm-hmm. Capricorn placements, but, but I don't want to open myself up to future centered or future minded things that don't yet exist because that will like prevent me from one living in this present moment, but also distorting my conception of understanding how I engage with the world right now. So I would rather decide for myself, Mm. like, okay, understanding who I am, how I relate with other people, how I'm engaging the world around me and what's possible, and then working in a very, like, systematic way to achieve the fulfillment of what that could look like and who I am, rather than conforming myself to some, like, thing far in the future that is not currently attainable and sitting around and wasting away thinking about all of that stuff. Well, your cancer rising also pulls you to the past. Cancer is associated with like past and roots and tradition and family and home and things like that. So you already have this tension of like, you're being pulled to the future, but you're being pulled to the past as well. Mm -hmm. I know one of the 
archetypal nicknames for my Myers-Briggs is the visionary. Um, because I, I, I agree with so much of the thought process that you have. I just have come to a completely different conclusion than you. Like, I, you talk about like the possibility of the now, and I think that that's informed by the potential of the future. Um, See, I, I agree yeah. with that, and I, I totally agree with that. And so, my archetypal name for my current Myers Briggs is the campaigner, which I loathe that name. Um, but I think it is all about kind of also seeing, like, surveying what we have, like what resources we have with the people that we're surrounded mm -hmm. by, and seeing. Uh, like the context of what we could be working towards and then like but then being the person to like rally the troops and like have those experiences to work towards that thing so I do have the future in mind like I think that's a very Capricorn thing too of like you know when I'm at my best my moon in Capricorn like emotionally serving myself I can see like what the potential is but it's a very slow moving thing and you're living into and doing correctly the process of like ascending that mountain right capricorn the mountain goat like you're working towards it but that's not like what i'm trying to achieve right now because i don't think i have the resources so when i said i don't trust myself i do trust myself like i do mm -hmm. but i also want to make sure that i'm fully equipped and prepared along the way to get to that point mm. interesting so anyways, that's why I hate robots. Speaking over, yeah. <laughs> See, I like to learn about this stuff and I loved sci-fi when I was little and mm -hmm. I still really like sci-fi, maybe just not the action part of it. I'll get on board yeah. with the movie probably, but I like knowing what kind of the collective vision for the future is mm -hmm. so that I can root myself more in my vision and be like, this is what we're up against. So now my vision is like, we're going back to living in caves, people. Like we are going off grid. We are living by the moon because I see the potential of this future and like what everyone is moving towards. And that gives me more fuel and like motivation to live out like what I want my own vision to be. So I, I like agree with everything that you're saying. It, it seems like we all agree we have totally different like outcomes of how we're going about it. Yeah, how we choose to process that. Well, yeah, we're all Aquarians. We all want to like bring people into the future, into like progress. Mm -hmm. But Aquarians are also always for the sake of bringing it back to what is true and what is like right and traditional. And so how we perceive what that was and how to get there is different. Well, Capricorn's traditional Aquarius, I would say, is like progressive. So Keely, you, you do have a very interesting mix because Aquarian, future, progressive, cancer, past, roots, legacy, and Capricorn is like tradition and preparedness and responsibility. So yeah, you're not cut out for the, the zombie apocalypse that's like coming. I know. That's why I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I used to tell people in high school, uh, back when zombie was more of the craze, um, that like you're, I would say things like you're gonna need me because I'm gonna think of things you're not gonna be prepared for, but you should 100% like keep me in a cage for most of the time because I will turn on you. <laughs> so and they'd be like, well, what like what's so helpful? Like how are you gonna be useful? And I was like, well, do you know that you know a nuclear reactor can only survive a week without human intervention, and we live right next to Three Mile Island. So y'all would have stuck around here and gone to like the mall when we should be on our way to Wyoming where there isn't. It's all solar energy. And they'd be like, well, that is important. So, mm. Well, go. speaking of people in cages, 
<laughs> yes. Can we talk about the absolute problematic, <laughs> the way that I cannot even watch films directed by men anymore? That's fair. Because this movie, I think that's probably why I couldn't finish it or like take anything seriously because I was just like, the only representation of women in this film, which it's like essentially about the divine feminine, right? They're embodying mm -hmm. these fifth elements. They're embodying this like, what do they keep calling themselves? Like the sacred something? I don't know, sacred element or something? Yeah. And they are all like completely sexualized. Mm -hmm. They are literally like, in a cage and or like when she's first brought to life or whatever she's like writhing around about in this cage and all these men are like staring at her and they're like you got to learn to use your language first and it's like this is supposedly like the sacred fifth element and you're mm -hmm. already like mansplaining her i okay also she yeah. like comes to life from this little like fossilized bug situation or whatever and she's this, like lifeless and naked body and so for a second i'm excited because i'm like is this about to be kyle xy does she have a belly button well then, and i also i loved the, the naked body i was like mm -hmm. this is going to be great and then, then the little man says i'd like to take a few pictures for the archives Dear God. And she's like in bondage. And I'm like, I would have loved just like the divine feminine beauty of like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm all about like the body. But she's wearing like this getup that is for the male gaze. There's yeah. no way she decided to just put one strap of fabric across her nipple. Well, no, they'd use it to try to like hold her down, the thermal like bands right. or whatever they say. And then I'm just like, straight jackets have certainly taken on a new look in the future in the form of not an ace bandage, but ace bondage. Like, it is absurd. Also, lest we forget, this is occurring 27 minutes into the film. True. Is it have you haven't, we've... A main character who's a woman? It's supposed to be the future, and I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> I hate this for me. Yeah, there, so I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, for, those, for context of where we are in the film right now. Um, We're like those two little Muppets in the balcony <laughs> that just like comment on Statler the and Waldorf. This is why like, no one likes to watch movies with me because I'm like, that's misogyny, that's trauma. Yeah, I mean, I do wanna, I, I will fully concede that there are problematic, problematic elements of this movie. Um, it's from 1997. It had a male director. It does not pass the Bechtel test. Um, all things that are true. In fact, I think the best version of it I've seen is I don't remember who the YouTuber is. Um, uh, Wait, what's the Bechtel test? The Bechtel test is a test of, and there are many tests that deal with it in other variants, but the Bechtel test is whether or not a movie has two female characters who have a conversation about something other than a man. Um, and there are a lot of very, very famous movies, movies that are considered classics that do not pass the Bechdel test at all. Well, of course. Um, I don't think... Wait, this information is so disturbing to my nervous system right now. It is. Um, I'll look up a list uh, as we're talking, but... Um, Wait, if there was, like, if there is an opposite of that, about, like men having conversation about whatever, I don't think Frozen 2 would pass it. Thank God. Yeah, 
That's why I love Frozen 2. There's like one man in it and he's literally lost in the woods for the entire movie. And then he comes back at the end and he's like, all right, what do you need me to do? And they're like, literally just bring us on your horse to let us do our thing. And he's like, all right, got it. And then he goes away. Uh, That's my picture. Uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire doesn't pass it. Toy Story 2 doesn't pass it. 500 Days of Summer doesn't pass it. Star Wars, um, a number of movies from all, like a number of famous movies just don't pass the Bechdel test. Anyways, the, there, there's a YouTuber who has uh, an analysis of tropes. And one of the tropes they talk about that this movie is kind of like the unfortunate king of is this theory called Born Sexy Yesterday, which is exactly what Lilu is, is that it's uh, the way, yeah, which is essentially she's a person who is given almost like infantile level. Yeah, and they claim that she's an ancient alien who's deeply knowledgeable and the smartest, most powerful being in the universe. Right. But then they infanticize her from the moment of right. her creation, right. which and is literally the day before this movie ends. So, yeah, that's something I can never get past. Also, yeah. the like sexual assault scene when she's unconscious and the guy kisses her, and then she literally like has like this gun taser thing to his head, and he's like. Call me when you learn to speak English. And she says, I wrote this down, ectogamet. And then later he asks the one man who can translate what that means. And he says, never without my permission. Yeah. Queen! <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, there are parts of it that are definitely um, problematic. I like. I really there are almost no movies that aren't, but, you know, it, it's... It's not a thing to be forgiven, but it is a thing to learn from and to uh, hopefully get smarter and smarter. And I mean, the thing is, though, this is a movie that like a lot of classic sci-fi has gotten more voices brought into sci-fi to correct these very issues, though. Yeah. Um, so I do think that it is important to understand. Uh, and I mean, it's not this movie wasn't from forever ago, right? This isn't made in the 70s. It was made in 1997. Um, but even since then, I, I hopefully I think there has been more positive um, views of the way people are portraying things, right? I think one of the most telling things is the lack of um, the lack of women in the technical spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Take a look at a movie like Fifth Element compared to say uh, like Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, where almost the majority of people in that movie who are on the technical side are female. Mm -hmm. They're the mathematicians, the physicists, some of the astronauts, um, as opposed to Fifth Element where it's all your classic men in beige uniforms at a you know terminal that doesn't exist anymore. So I, I do think that there is progress in those types of elements, um, but uh, yeah. Um, can I Understood. talk about something else problematic? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, the president's outfit. <laughs> what is he the president of? He's the president of, I wrote this down. Wrote this down. He's the president of <clears throat> the Federated Territories, which is essentially their version of like Space UN. Wait, what president is this? This is the uh, individual is who is in the big chair, who every time, they just a lot of shots of him sweating on the phone and being like, we gotta fix this right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You may remember him from his horrible ensemble, including 
an exaggerated v-neck a turtleneck <laughs> and absurdly large shoulder pads under what circumstances would this allow you to efficiently run anything <gasps> i'm dying uh there are okay I think there's a few points that we need to hit We're on. We're going to make this really hard for you to say anything positive about this movie. <laughs> this is the Fifth Element podcast. We got to put this out here. We are not associated <laughs> with Fifth Element at all. I do think there are important points that if we don't hit, well, this episode will be a disservice. So I want to make okay. sure that we, or we hit some of these. Um, one interesting point about this movie the protagonist and antagonist never meet or interact directly in any way. Pretty cool, huh? And so, we're talking about Corbin, uh, Corbin Dallas, Dallas, the main Corbin, protagonist. the man with the scene hair and the um, fiber optic like hairpiece. Uh, yes, Mr. Zorg, uh, who is the yeah, like tech billionaire of this world, the arms dealer. Uh, essentially, if uh, Iron Man's Tony Stark had gone rogue and supposed to becoming a hero. He would have ended up like Mr. Zorg. Um, they never interact once in the entire movie. Isn't that cool? Wait, why is that cool? Because I can't think of any other story where the hero doesn't face up against the villain, right? Yeah. They are working on the same, they both want the same thing and they're influencing the, what's happening in each other's lives, but they don't even interact with each other they're aware of each other's existence um because like mr zorg is like a tech billionaire celebrity so like there's a line where he references that he like used to work under him and like a holding company holding company holding company and uh and corbin's character wins the big contest so zorg knows that he's going on like to the cruise planet but they don't actually the the closest they get to interacting in the entire movie is uh, they pass each other in a hallway when one of them is going to an elevator, but they don't even make eye contact. It's just a really cool feature of this movie that they never actually interact the entire time. Wow, this is kind of like us, Dominic. <laughs> like we have similar end goals or things that we're working towards, but we just are um, doing things for different reasons or have different uh, approaches. Very true. Very true. I'll let you decide which one of those people you'd like to be. But we're both <laughs> Slytherin, so we're obviously both the villain. That's probably accurate. Um, yeah. Do, and that, then, is, I mean, that is an interesting point, Dominic. I'll give that to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you I think it's interesting what your make or break points for the movie were, because most people's make or break point for the movie uh, <laughs> is the um, very, very inter interesting character of Ruby Rod, that's who most people either love this movie or hate this movie. That's where the polarity yeah. comes from. I mean, we can get into that. <laughs> Ruby Rod, for those at home that are, might be unfamiliar, is a um, radio celebrity who is the most famous and well-liked radio personality in this universe. Uh, and they are in charge of hosting Corbin Dallas when they arrive on the... Uh, I, man, if you haven't, seen this movie everything i'm describing sounds like utter nonsense but yeah. when they arrive on uh the cruise planet where they must retrieve the hidden stones from the uh blue alien operatic diva who has hidden them somewhere aboard the ship um but yeah 
I mean, um, the, the themes of sexual assault throughout this movie just abound. Mm-hmm. The plane scene, shall we? We shan't. But <laughs> wait, with the what? flight attendant and this this Ruby person. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. When she's literally saying no. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that um, I did get slightly excited um, when the name of the, the, the contest to this tropical getaway or whatever mm-hmm. was known as the Gemini something or another. Okay. Uh, it's the Gemini Croquet Company. So it's, croquet is still being played in the future. Good to know. And uh, they have enough money from selling croquet balls to fund an entire pleasure cruise. So there you go. Um, I did like the broken glass example slash commentary on, like, the chaos of the universe. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good parallel to, like, our society today and how he kind of said, like, the amount of people that will be out of work if peace is actually restored and if, like, justice is brought. Um, you know, all of these people that participate in these corrupt systems will no longer have livelihoods for lives. At least that's how I interpreted it. And I was like, wow, that is like today's conundrum, I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it speaks to a real, um, that whole speech by uh, Mr. Zorg is basically the priest comes in to confront him and says, you're an agent of death and destruction. And he says, and you're an agent of life and renewal. And we are cut from the same cloth. Our goals are the same. We just achieve them very differently. Um, Which again is a real theme throughout this whole movie is how one achieves the same goal using different means. Um, Which is evident based on the fact that there are four parties trying to do the exact same thing in this movie that all are using completely different tactics. Um, and in that speech, he talks a lot. Uh, to the ill point he illustrates is he takes a glass uh, from his desk, drops it on the floor, and all these little robots come out and start to clean it up. And he's saying, you know, death creates meaning for those that are alive. And I think that's incredibly true. Uh, he was referring it just to more of an economical sense, like, you know, if people didn't die, morticians wouldn't be able to feed their families. But I, then he kind of alludes to it in a, in a larger state where it's um, the fight of the living is in honor of those that have died. So if they didn't die, the living would be bored out of their minds, right? It's this constant thing. They talk a lot of this in um, the television show, The Good Place, which I think uh, if you haven't seen, you both would very much find fascinating. Um, the Good Place is all about a group of people that die and go to heaven uh, and kind of we're the, the, a version of heaven. And one of the things they constantly talk about in that show is the thing that makes like, there's a line from it that all humans are a little bit sad all the time because they know they're going to die. But that's the thing that makes them happy every other point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that is kind of illustrated to a, a small degree in the, uh, the glass speech that you're talking about as well, mm-hmm. which is, again, one of the great things about sci-fi, that you can have those conversations. Because um, in any other medium, it would 
come off as distasteful or overly dramatic to say mm -hmm. something like, yeah, sometimes people need to die, right? Like that's a hard conversation to start, uh, but you wrap it around some aliens and laser guns and suddenly it becomes a little bit more palatable for people to start to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. See, this is starting to make sense for me. Okay. Like, see, I watch it and then I see a scene like that or a conversation like that. And I'm like, why did we have to include all these aliens and all these other people? Why couldn't we just have that conversation and like unpack that? So I think that is my a Castellan of just like, let's just cut to the chase. Let's go deep. Let's have that conversation. Let's get emotional. Like, why do we need to water it down with all this other stuff? But I guess for other people, maybe that makes it more fun. But I'm just like, let's not have fun. Let's cry. Yeah, the view, it, it can be hard to talk about humanity as human. Like, it's hard to create that level of objectivity in storytelling sometimes that is important. So it's much easier to do things like, when we start to identify what makes an alien an alien, it starts to become a whole lot clearer what makes a human a human. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it also says things like, because a lot of humanity is what ifs. Um, like what if I, in this movie, there's a gun that can basically kill you 29 different ways. It's, it's being sold to a group of alien mercenaries. Uh, and it starts to make you question like, what if people did have access to that kind of technology? Like, is that the only thing that is keeping us from killing everyone? Is this advanced gun? And then you go, well, no, like, there are plenty of people out there who have access to bad guns who still don't kill people. So it's, when you start to put things in this type of context, it allows you to kind of reverse engineer the present in a really fascinating moral, philosophical, spiritual way, mm -hmm. uh, which is, again, I think the beauty of sci-fi. Like fantasy is about this um, beautiful life of what if things were simple again? Like what are my core fundamental morals in a world of simplicity uh, or sometimes magic, but mostly like there's, there's a reason it's set in like a medieval time because that's as, about as far back as you can go with recognizable society but from like a technology is still limited standpoint. Whereas sci-fi is the exact opposite. It's turning that up to 11. What if I could have anything I ever wanted immediately, right? Like there's a scene where Lilu makes a chicken in two seconds flat from a bunch of like space pods. Um, if I had access to that, would I become a glutton, right? Like that is a whole narrative of what's called post-scarcity society, right? In a society that wants for nothing, and this is a big Star Trek thing, what do you do then? How do you treat each other when you all can have everything you've ever wanted forever and always? Mm -hmm. um, which is hopefully what we all one day will work towards, right? Like hopefully we as a species get to a point where we can make food instantly and travel the cosmos, but we have to be prepared for how we're going to handle each other when we do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was a really uh, relevant conversation and part of the movie. Um, especially with it being set probably, you know, they were probably thinking like 50 to a hundred years in the future. Like we're not that far off. Um, and talking about like kind of this concept of technology destroying what we know humanity to be, mm -hmm. which goes back to like what I think about all the time. Whereas like, okay, if we don't know, the possibility of what that could be, then how are we ever going to restore humanity and like that concept of life and death? If we're thinking of like technology as the death of life, 
that's not entirely accurate because we need to be able to still hold life as we're going into these like new um, possibilities. And I was kind of seeing all those like robots and in that little microcosm example of like, you know, how are all these people or like, what's the role going to be for all these um, robots and creations if, you know, if nothing is destroyed, it's kind of like, if everyone goes off a grid or like goes back to, you know, more primitive societies, so much of our um, current economic, uh, current economy and society is based around like this forward thinking, futuristic um, technology age, and we're entering the age of Aquarius. So it's even more important to be having these conversations because we really are going to keep progressing farther and farther into the world of like technology and innovation. But how can we do that while still keeping like human life in mind? Which is what I think makes the scene, the first time I watched it, the scene with uh, the diva, which is this long um, operatic piece that has like a bit of hip hop thrown into it because mm -hmm. you know, the future, why not? Like the first time I watched the movie that felt really out of place to me, but as I started to watch it more and more, that really punctuates just how smart this movie is in a lot of ways. Like there's some very dumb things in this movie, don't, don't get me wrong, but like it's a very smart scene because up until this point, it's been so much conversation of like progress and like there's a lot of things of like, well, who is human and who isn't human? Um, and, and so much is like industry and violence and war is a big theme throughout the movie that gets hinted at and then literally addressed later on um and then you just have this beautiful moment where even our main shoot 'em up cab driving protagonist gets like teary-eyed and starts to like weep a little bit at the sheer beauty of art right this this song uh that's being sung and it's it's given such reverence and respect in the movie um and then ultimately transitions into another action scene because they knew who they were shooting this movie for but for the initial shots of it, it is given just the time to breathe and be artistic and beautiful. And it says so much about like the spirit of humanity. And I think the real beauty of it is this is the character that has looked so far like the strangest in terms of their humanity, right? Um, this character has tubes coming out of them, their head is disshapen and they're bright blue. And it's something so human, even in the least human looking character, um, mm. which I yeah. think is just poetic genius. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Keely? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it says a lot that the most beautiful, like, person, quote unquote, in the movie is the one that is least reminiscent of the humans yeah but i mean also those whistle tones yeah. <laughs> I it. oh my gosh at first i'm like and i like enjoy opera so i'm like i'm like oh okay opera i'm here for this and then she gets to these jazzy parts with these unheard of runs and i'm just like yes queen well i i looked like, up oh by the way there are these important stones you need are like embedded in my stomach go ahead and reach on in and grab them 
and then I I'm mean, gonna that, if that's not violation. the most symbol, no, but think about the symbolism of that, right? The okay, elements that are going to save the world are literally coming from within her. Like that. Yeah, and then the men elements. go in and freaking cut her open and excavate them from her soul. True, she gets shot and then uh, has an exposed wound. But, you know, the beings on high trusted her to bring these elements to save the world uh, as the ultimate the ultimate good. I think that's pretty well, magical. And, and the, um, you know, the cosmic elements are also attributing to her capacity to share beauty with the world hmm. I, I, wonder what her, I wonder what her big three are <laughs> i wish i wish there was i tried to find a wiki to see if there were birthdays listed for many of the people oh. uh, so i did look up the birth chart it. i did look up the birth chart of the actual movie mm-hmm. i just It'd like a brief list I, I mean, I'm sure if I spent time with it, a lot of Taurus energy, which is interesting, very, oh. like, earthy. Um, there's, I can tell you, one, two, three T-squares chart patterns, which, so a lot of tension. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, and a lot of missing Scorpio energy. So, quite fascinating. Yeah. But. We Is there anything that. about the movie that uh, we didn't get to touch on that you would you would like to discuss? Yeah, let me see. Um, okay, well, I, I got excited at the one part when she, when uh, Lilu, mm-hmm. the quote-unquote fifth element, is talking to Good. this Corbin guy, and she goes, and he's like, I'm going to save you, whatever, and she's oh. like, no, no. She's like, you, big trouble. Me, fifth element, supreme being. Me, mm-hmm. protect you. And I was like, yes, queen. <laughs> and then later on, um, what's his name? The little priest guy is like, she is uh, Yeah, Father Vito. Yeah, I think it's him that says, she is more fragile than she seems. She needs your help and your love. And I was like, hell no, she don't. Yeah, this movie literally inspired me to write an Instagram post on my birth page just now, which is all about how women do not need saving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this movie, and maybe we're doing this subconsciously, we're redeeming it through this podcast, but this movie could have been such a great commentary on, like, kind of, if the men in this movie are representing, like, kind of science and technology and the need to, like, control the future, and if these beings are representing more of, like, just, like, the surrender of the universe and more of that, like, divine feminine being, and if there were women directing it i feel like maybe that could have been portrayed so much more clearly and that message could have came through as like ultimately science and technology and humans are not going to win out over like human nature and nature in general and kind of like these bigger cosmic forces but instead we have these yeah these stupid lines that are like actually she's more fragile than you think and it's like you could have just taken that out and let this movie but then we have Frozen 2 to make up for that. It's true. I think that that's a really interesting point. And I, I, do, I fully agree that I think, I think what was happening in that, if I had to take a guess, is that, um, one, there's just a lack of awareness for that kind of thing um, in the writing room and in the directing room because they were uh, by the same individual, the director. Um, but two, 
I think that they were really trying to sell the message that the fifth element is love and they were trying to reverse engineer that because I do feel like the love thing feels very forced in certain parts of this movie but what I think is fascinating is I think there's a movie that really tried to do the exact thing you just said and still to this day messed it up um so uh, the movie that actually genuinely thought it was being progressive a movie not this movie but um uh, I think the the Wonder Woman movie that came out recently, I have never left a theater more angry than I did leaving that movie because I've never seen a movie that didn't read its own script like sooner than that. And what I mean by this is... We did see that movie together. The first like. two thirds of that movie are literally the exact message you were just talking about, right? This divine female that's so much better, like she wins out over the spirit of humanity. Um, and then the last, I mean, for two reasons, one of them is more structural than anything, but like the last third of that movie, they threw all of that out and just said, no, she saved because she loved somebody uh, or is loved by this pilot. And it's like, what? What do you mean that's the thing that's giving her her strength? Like, no, the thing giving her her strength is she ran across a battlefield to prove that she could do it because it was the right thing to do. Um, I mean, there's other huge issues with like, you say that all of the evil of mankind isn't caused by one guy and then, oh, jokes it is. Like, that's a huge issue to itself. But, <laughs> you know, that was a movie that was so infuriating to me. Uh, and should have known better because, you know, if you're not gonna learn from things, uh in the past right then wait what so, we what did, so what did you think of frozen 2 uh i you know i wish i had rewatched frozen 2 before this episode i thought about it and just ran out of the time to do it um from what i remember of frozen 2 i remember i remember being disappointed that they were af afraid to lock in some of the consequences of their world um, I think Arendelle needed to be destroyed. And I think by saving it, they did themselves a disservice. Um, I think it would have been far more impactful for uh, Elsa to strike out on their own um, after like it had been destroyed, as opposed to being like, yeah, everything's great now. Now I can leave, rest assuredly. But um, I don't know if that answers the question. I mean, I just asked you what you think, thought, yeah. so. I liked Frozen 2. Not as many, not as many bangers in the, as in the first one, I don't think. Um, but did you, did you think it was, to me, that is a movie that finally did it right. The first movie that mm -hmm. I can ever remember seeing of like, finally this, these elements of nature and intuition and this kind of divine feminine, all those qualities that exist in everyone, mm -hmm. finally won against control and innovation and war and like division and unhealthy boundaries men i think i have come to a point in my cinematic journey where i'm not looking for winners anymore like i i i think i'm i like stories where a victory doesn't really feel like a win right um an example of that is, uh, which I get a lot of crap for, um, I didn't grow up nostalgic for Star Wars, speaking of sci-fi, but my favorite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. 
which I think is interesting because it's the only movie that actually addresses the fact that they're fighting a legitimate war. Like, spoiler alert, but the end of that movie is they, they get the plans they need to save the day and then everyone dies like in pursuit of these plans right so you get to meet all these characters and then there's a huge cost they all give up their lives um, and as a result of that they're able to really save the day in the long term from like a world standpoint so i think i'm at a point narratively where i like you know i, I think there's a, a certain level of charm and camp to something like the fifth element where yay the heroes won and we did it and i certainly respect a Frozen 2 thing where it's like the hero who hasn't gotten to win in the past gets to win. But ultimately, I'm just, I'm at a point where I'm looking for the gray area in my, my media. Well, I've never yeah. seen Star Wars, so That's I can't. Right. Yeah, me neither. I, uh, I took one film class in college and I said after that class, I'll never watch a movie the same way again because there's just like so much more to like film and like cinematography mm -hmm. than just like the storyline and so I do wish that I had had more time and intention to watch this film rather than doing it at eight o'clock in the morning um in anticipation of just like to talk about it so I do think I could hands down learn lots from it and find much more redeeming things to say about it so I will give you that um, however, I can also just say from like an entertainment standpoint, it was never going to be something that I was going to thoroughly enjoy. Totally fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, same. I, I probably won't watch it again. Mm -hmm. I might finish it, but. I don't think you're going to like the ending. I, I wouldn't finish it. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was, I guess. I was expecting because like I heard something or read something that Frozen 2 was like the revamped version of the fifth element. So I had high expectations. Yeah. High yeah. expectations. I, I see the parallels and I certainly saw it a lot more having seen fifth element first and then watching Frozen 2 was like there's some real similarities in these movies in terms of oh, like Oh, I mean, tone. in the first couple minutes when he like pulls out the like, or like that wall that talks about the, the five elements and whatever, I was like, oh, this is going to be so reminiscent of Frozen. <laughs> I told Emily, I texted her, I was like, we should like frame this whole conversation as the fifth element stole the storyline of Frozen 2. And I instead said- of the opposite. I said, I, I would if I knew what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, uh... Ultimately, I think that the fifth element has its place in history, um, as I no doubt Frozen 2 does as well. Uh, I am glad that you have at least seen it, so that if you are in the future when someone inevitably brings it up, you can at least have an opinion well-formed on it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Lots of people have brought it up. Justin Brashier, who was our first guest, he mm -hmm. said that his very first job was working at a drive-in movie theater and The Fifth Element was the first movie that played the first weekend he was working. And I was so like, exciting. wow, this is like a important to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And here we had no idea it existed. There's a lot of quirky one-off sci-fi movies that are very important to a lot of people. Um, just because, again, Sci-fi is doing things that no other genre is or can. And uh, there's a lot of magic that happens by that. Hmm, I believe that. Well, thank But we you. won't be turning our podcast into that type of thing anytime soon. No. <laughs> <laughs> we will be reviewing Frozen 2, though. Um, 
we will have much more positive things to say. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see how that is informed having seen this movie. Uh, what uh, overlaps. Well, it's not. <laughs> Good to know. But thank you so much for structuring this conversation. You brought up a lot of points I never would have come to. Um, yeah, this would have yet, been an hour-long rant. Otherwise. Yeah, no, this was helpful. Um, good things to think about. And, um, yeah. I'm going to go contemplate my relationship with robots now. So, <laughs> If your listeners do watch the movie, uh, I would love for them to uh, spam you with their interpretations and or rating systems. Oh, that's um, a great idea. I would love to see like what your general audience feels about the film. Have Ooh. like a, a group community movie night, if you will. Okay, love that. Mm -hmm. because we'll meet up with you all afterwards. <laughs> I kind of don't want to recommend it, but maybe we can be like, our second time guest, Dominic Arp, recommends that you watch this movie. And so give us all your thoughts. There you go. There you go. I, I look forward to the inevitable Instagram story of negative reviews of this movie is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, hey, we're all about informed consent. So here we are just laying it all out there for people and they can decide for themselves if they want to watch it. Very yeah. true. Very true. Sure. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, so you can much. go talk to Dominic about it. Uh, I will link his Instagram and other things below. Also, make sure you check out Dominic's uh, virtual improv live stream on Twitch called Show and Tell Live. They're doing shows. Are we up to every night of the week now, or uh, pretty close? Right now, we're just on Tuesday and. Uh, Friday, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We do a lot Friday for the whole cast and then yeah. individual shows other nights of the week. So yeah, we do a lot of movie talk there. Uh, if you ever want to have a conversation about the uh, societal ramifications of Air Bud, we'd love to see it. So oh my gosh, true, true, and it's super interactive and it's funny and they are awesome. So we'll link all that below. Um, anything else you want to plug or anything at all, Dominic? No, just happy to be back. I uh, hope everyone has a great, great life. See you then. Awesome.